You have reached the Geek Elite. Good luck. Hey, Mitch! Okay, on tonight's episode of Hey Mitch, I have with me Javier, who you might not know this, is a part of Geek Elite in kind of a way as in he has made about 90% of all the music that we use for our podcast. Hey, Javier. Hey, how's it going, Mitch? <laughs> it's, going, it's going pretty well for me. How how have you been today? Pretty good. I had some, uh, had some Mr. G's finally after a while of not having them. This is not a plug, by the way. I'm not sponsored by them in any way. <laughs> and but. neither are we, but we'd love to be. <laughs> exactly. That would be, actually, that'd be a good idea. So is that at their new facility? Yeah. Is, yeah. I haven't been yet. It feels like Harkins. It's very brightly colored, a lot of neon lights. Oh. Um, the food's still good. Okay. You know, the atmosphere isn't what it used to be. I like the the decrepit uh, shack kind of feel to it. The old old one. Yeah. The, the, <laughs> the real drive through. I mean, so it it has a drive through now. Yeah, yeah. But the other one used to be a drive up kind yeah. of thing. Yeah. And I mean, in that one instance, a uh, drive literal through. Through. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, did I mean how how not that this needed to become a Mister G's podcast? But <laughs> how did the drive through work? I mean, did, did you, I don't know if you used it or not, but like, how did it look like it was working? I don't know. Like it was very overwhelming when we went in there. We went in there. The lights were very very bright, and we got out of there as soon as we got our food felt like very surreal it felt like we're on blade runner or something you know oh okay it was well weird. they're just preparing well actually blade runner was 2019 so wow was it really <laughs> it, was <fun. laughs> it was supposed to be november 2019 when the first blade runner took place oh okay yeah so it was on the nose saw edward james almost there for some reason <laughs> <laughs> i mean he was he was folding little cranes there you go <laughs> uh okay javier obviously the first thing i want to talk about is music so how much of your life has been about music? 99.9. 99.9. Yeah. That's uh, fair. Yeah, it's uh, something I've always been in love with. Uh, ever since I was a little kid, I'd hear some some good music on, on the radio or, you know, my parents would, you know. One thing that I find kind of fascinating is that you you take a Mexican that knows not a lick of English you put on some CCR, they will sing along perfectly. <laughs> they will know every lyric. They don't know what they're singing, but they know exactly what words to say. It's, I, it's pretty interesting. So That's funny. I've never heard that one before. If you want to, if you see somebody that doesn't speak English, if you see a Mexican that doesn't uh, speak English at a karaoke and you want them to get uh, sing along, throw on some CCR. Okay. I'll yeah. keep that in mind. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, so uh, actually, interestingly enough, this is kind of more in your ballpark, but uh, when I was a kid, for some reason, my parents were just like, oh, just show the kid whatever whatever movies are on or whatever. So they saw a movie with a little duck, and they're like, it's a duck. You know, like, you know, it's a kid's movie. Oh, no. Well, it was uh, Howard the Duck. Yes, yes, so, it was. So I remember two things specific, well, three things specifically. That was the first time I saw duck boobs, 
which was very confusing because I was like three or four, you know. The second thing, I fell in love with Leah Thompson because of that movie. And number three, I, that's like the first time I saw somebody so close to my stature at that age rocking out on guitar. <laughs> that's fair. You know what? I didn't even think about that. You're right. That was actually like one of my very first, uh, like, you know, the first time I saw a guitar and what you could do. Of course, you had three fingers, but, you know, <laughs> But yeah, I was just impressed. I was like, that looks so fun. And you could get tall, attractive women with a lot of aquanet in their hair. That's perfect. That's exactly what I'm into. I was three. I didn't know any better. You know? It's bad for the environment. I'm more environmentally conscious at this point, you know? It's good, you know? <laughs> good. No, yes, uh, I think that was everybody's first time seeing duck boobs. I'm pretty sure. <laughs> I hope so. Anybody's, anybody's seen duck boobs since then either. They're pioneers. <laughs> Way before their time. Exactly. Uh, but yeah, yeah, I, I always forget about that part of the, about Howard the Duck, that Howard the Duck was a rocker. Like he, yeah. He was a uh, he was in a band on his planet, wasn't he? Yeah, he was, he was an advertising executive, <sighs> but he was also a musician. So he, pretty much, Wow. Came full circle. So he would be paid to do music for other people. You're right. Wow. Mind blown. That's pretty interesting. Wow. I have become Howard the Duck. That's pretty cool. There you, hey, <laughs> duck boobs are just around the corner. There you go. <laughs> so uh, the first time I believe we met was working on our mutual friend Mike's uh, music video for the company he worked for at the time. Yes. I don't know if we wanted to say it or not, but yeah, it was a uh, it was a certain company. Yeah. <laughs> uh, that's all we need to know. But the the idea was with uh, company getting together with what's that uh, like a exercise and making it. Hey, we're a big team building exercise. Team building. Thank you. Yeah, I yeah, could yeah. not come up with that word. Yeah. Uh, you, you, they what split you up? Split people up into groups, and they had to all make different music videos or something like that yeah and well they had to do their own thing and pretty much you know it was just kind of like a team building exercise do something creative together present it in front of the office which we did which um i don't know it was it was a very fun experience because we wrote like mike wrote the music you shot the music video i added some like lead guitar Mm -hmm. we presented it i thought it should have won but yeah that's in the past that's neither here nor there but we had a good time and that was the first time we collaborated which was pretty cool yeah i know that was the first time and i mean if anybody ever ever sees it it's obviously the first time i've ever directed a music video <laughs> but i had a great time directing it and getting to edit, edit oh, yeah. it that was i thought that was that was that was awesome so yeah i like the slow-mo uh wink from our, our buddy Alfredo. That was, that was beautiful. That was perfect. I still remember that to this day. Both in both, it's both a good thing and a bad thing. It's true. You know, when you're falling asleep, that's the last image I see sometimes. You know? <laughs> it gave me some very weird PTSD, but not in a bad way necessarily. I don't know. <laughs> it was interesting. So when when you're creating music like that, like, what's the 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 best process for you like what is the best way for you to get in that headset pretty much um for me it's improvisation just making just kind of like throwing sounds to the wall like spaghetti just you know throwing sounds around and see what you like and then kind of build upon that so like i'll just have my guitar and i'll just be strumming away just making the loudest most obnoxious noises that i can make until i find something that works and then i kind of build upon that you know and that's pretty much where Pretty much 99% of the music I make comes from that. I'll just, uh, I, it won't be, 
it won't be something that I think too much of. I don't think of, of the creative process when I write music. I don't think of it as, uh, oh, I'm feeling this way. I'm going to write a ballad. I'm going to write a, a love song. I'm going to write this. I'm going to write that. I play what I feel at the time and want, and whatever comes out, if it sounds good to me, I'll continue with it and elaborate on it and process whatever I'm feeling at the time. And that's pretty much how I go, you know? So that's pretty much how I, that's how I work on, uh, that's how I've been working on my music for the past however many years I've been doing music. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So, I mean, when you're doing it that way, like, do you feel when people come in with, with, uh, ideas or pointers or something like that, does that stifle you or does it help you? It depends on the person. Okay. Because if the person, it comes from a place of non-judgment and they're critiquing in a positive way, yeah, I'm, I'm open to anything, you know, mm-hmm. like I'm open to a uh, constructive criticism, but if somebody just flat out says, oh, you're horrible or you suck or something, then yeah, I'm not going to, I'm not going to listen to that. And it also depends on the person because, uh, like, for example, uh, Dylan, uh, he's somebody that I highly respect when it comes to music because uh, he's a very talented musician. So, like, when he has feedback, I take that into account because I'm like, okay, well, it's not some Joe Schmo off the street that knows nothing about music. This guy knows what he's talking about, you know? And uh, so, when he has a suggestion or something or he's like, oh, maybe we should do this or maybe we should do that, I definitely take it into consideration because um, one thing that I've been very fortunate in is that... Um, Anytime I, anybody that I've jammed with, I'm a fan of. You okay. Know? So I could, you know, I could look at somebody and be like, okay, I enjoy what they do here. I, I enjoy their singing, their guitar playing, their drumming, their bass playing, whatever, what have you, keyboard playing or whatever. So when the people that I admire give me feedback, I'm like, well, you know, they must, they're doing something right enough to get me to listen to what they're, what they're making and stuff. So that's something that I, you know, pay attention to, you know? Yeah, no, I mean, that's, I mean, obviously, you want to hear from the people that have the best constructive criticism, but what is it that's been like, what's what's something that was just something that put a major block in front of you? Uh, I don't know, like, uh, I don't, I try not to let things block me as much, Okay, but when I have an idea and somebody's like, that's a horrible idea, we're not going to use it, that's like, okay, well... I think uh, that's your opinion, you know, that's just like your opinion, man. (laughs) So yeah, like that's kind of how I I take it and stuff. And if somebody doesn't want to work on idea, I'll work on it on my own. And I think a lot of the times when that's happened to me where people don't like my idea and I work on it on my own and then I show it to somebody, they'll be like, wow, that, that same person will be like, wow, that's a really cool idea. I'm like, that was the idea I was trying to propose like a week ago, but, you know, whatever. <laughs> and I, I don't dwell on it and stuff. It's just like, you know, uh, for me, like, uh, music is just kind of like a very natural kind of free flow f- art form. So if it comes out, you know, with in a col- collaboration with other people, that's cool. But if it comes out just for me, that's cool, too, as long as it comes into existence. That's all that matters to me. You know? So with it being so free flow, like, how is it that, well, not how is it, but more... Have have you ever come across a time when you started off with one idea and you just ended up with something else completely different? Yeah. Uh, a lot of times when I'm collaborating with other people, like, for example, with the guys from Ocean Ocean, my band, uh, we'll have an idea and then we'll be like, oh, we'll make, we'll, everybody kind of throws in their own ideas and the initial idea will sound like something and then the, the final idea will sound completely different from what we expected. And that's not a, that's not a bad thing. 
whatsoever. It just kind of has like everybody's kind of like fingerprint on on the on the on the end result. Uh, for example, uh, there's sometimes where uh, one of us will come up with an idea and complete it, and then show it to everybody else. And it'll if we had shown everybody else before we started on it, then it would be totally different, you know. So that's pretty much you know everybody has their own um, their own kind of fingerprint that adds to the music. So. So for you, is, is it important to try and keep uh, that original idea that you want? You're, like, do you try and fight for that, or do you just go with the music where it's where it's going to take you? A little bit of both. Okay. Because if there's an idea that I think, oh my god, this is the best idea ever. This is the best idea I've had so far. I really like what I'm doing here. I really like the the guitar part that I'm doing for this. Then I'll fight for it. But if it's a rough idea. I'm open to suggestions. And even if it's something that I'm really passionate about, like, oh, I really want, you know, I really want it to be exactly this way, I'll still give uh, a, give the other people a chance to give their feedback on it. So that's something that I, you know, it's not, I don't know, I, I kind of feel like um, I kind of fight for my ideas, but I'm also open to new ideas. Okay. You know? how, much, how much of your music and your style i mean i understand that you're in a band at the moment but how much of it is collaboration for you and how much is it you i kind of feel that um when we collaborate but most of our music uh comes from uh improvisation which uh you know it everybody kind of throws in their own elements but we also know how to kind of work around each other's sound because if you have like let's say the guitar is doing something pretty busy the other guitar needs to kind of calm down a little bit so it's a conversation not an argument you know that's something that we say is that we want to have a conver- a musical conversation not an argument so it's it's it, everybody has their voice in the band sometimes for one song somebody might be speaking louder Another song, another one of us will be speaking louder. There's uh, some songs where I'll do lead, and there's uh, other songs where Dylan will do lead, and it's vastly different, you know? Like, we'll kind of kind of get out of each other's way just to make sure the conversation flows as freely. So it's, it's 50-50, I, I think, you know? Because some of it is just, like, a lot of me, and some of it is very little of me. And to me, you know, if it sounds good in the end and everybody's happy, that's what's important to me. Uh, because... More than anything, it's a form of communication. It's something It's something very cathartic and therapeutic for me. So when I play music, it's not about like, oh, I have to have my stamp on it. I have to, you know, if it sounds good and it serves the whole, you know, that, that works for me. Oh, all right. So I think at my 30 year, 38 years of life now, I've kind of figured out the different titles for the different people in a band but i'm probably not right yeah so lead vocalist lead guitarist what's the what's the other guitarist uh rhythm guitar player rhythm okay so what are the difference i mean obviously the lead vocalist is a singer but yeah yeah what the rhythm guitar and lead guitar so the rhythm guitar mostly for the most part plays like the chords and kind of keeps it steady and you know so it'll kind of like you know strum away a little bit while the lead guitar kind of dances upon it you know, so it kind of it, it's kind of the foundation, because without the the foundation of the rhythm guitar, then the lead guitar has nothing to stand on. You know. Okay. So, uh, like rhythm guitar, you have to have really good timing. You have to be able to keep a steady rhythm. You know, some people actually have a hard time with rhythm, even though I don't know. I, I guess it's it's kind of innate. You know, everybody has rhythm. You know, we keep have on heart. beat. Right. Yeah. 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 So, um, yeah, rhythm guitar just keeps the rhythm going, keeps the beat, and keeps uh, like the basic idea going while the lead guitar kind of dances upon that. I mean, 
the the bassist does the, kind of the same thing as the rhythm guitar, then, right? Yeah, it, it's it's similar. It it serves the same punk, uh, function uh, because it's uh, foundational. So the drums and the bass make sure that the rhythm uh, the rhythm guitar player has something to play along to. Okay. Now the lead guitar player dances on that. You know, kind right. of like it's like a vocalist but without a voice. Right. You know? So it's it's kind of up there with vocals. You know. And usually. I'm, 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 once again, I might be completely wrong, but usually, like, the lead singer isn't also the lead guitarist, right? He can be, like, in the case of uh, Jimi Hendrix, uh, Stevie Ray Vaughan. Okay. But it is, in a lot of, t- in a lot of cases, it's pretty difficult, especially if you're doing, like, very complicated uh, lead guitar. Right. So uh, it can be done, but for the most part, the rhythm guitar player is the one that uh, does the vocals because he already has, you know, those two uh, tasks to take care of. Got it. Okay. So, like, examples in major bands that we, who's, who's a lead or lead singer and rhythm guitarist? Uh, lead singer and rhythm guitar player? Uh, let's see. I don't know. There's so many out there. Uh, it's, it's one of those things that my mind just went blank for some reason. But, uh, <laughs> let's see. I think, uh, pretty much every band that has a guitar player, well, Bruce Springsteen. Okay. Bruce Springsteen's a good example. Um, interest, the reason I bring that up, and you know, not to throw any shade or anything, but one of my pet peeves is just because I'm just kind of a very, I'm very strict with the music I like. I don't like when the, there's there's a band that has like a million guitar players, uh-huh. and everybody just looks at the guy singing that has a guitar <laughs> when everybody else is doing the heavy lifting. Right. Yeah. You know? So you'll see the uh, you'll see the 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 lead singer with a guitar. His guitar will be drooped down while he's holding onto the mic, and I'm like, "Why do you even have a guitar? Like, there's no point to that, you know." That's one of my pet peeves, you know. Like I've seen so many people do it, and they're like, "He's such a great guitar player." I'm like, "It's hanging around his neck. He's not playing. He's not, he's doing not playing yeah, exactly. You know, it's an illusion, man. Come on, stay woke, people." <laughs> I mean, okay, so Dave Grohl, I know in uh, Nirvana he was the drummer, yeah, but in Foo Fighters. Yeah. He's the lead singer yeah. and rhythm guitar? Yeah. Okay. And his guitar usually goes to the wayside. Yeah, exactly. Because <laughs> then he has uh, Pat Smear usually doing the heavy lifting, which is, uh, he was originally a guitar player for the Germs, and then uh, Nirvana picked him up, and then after Cobain died, then the Foo Fighters picked him up again, and they were like, oh, just, you know. Just stay with Stick it. around, you know. <laughs> You're there. You might as well, you know. It's interesting because I heard in an interview that, uh, when Nirvana ran into him, they, I don't know, I don't remember the exact story, so I'm just paraphrasing here, but they said that they didn't even realize he was still alive. So they're like, hey, is that Pat Smear from the Germs? Really? That guy's still alive? And then they, and then they approached him and then he joined the band, you know? Oh, wow. So yeah, that's pretty interesting because the Germs <laughs> were very known for their very destructive shows and, you know, they were very self-destructive. Uh, the singer, uh, he ended up uh, overdosing on drugs. So it was you know, very punk rock, right? You know, which was gl- that that lifestyle was glamorized back then. Luckily, nowadays, I kind of feel like that's kind of like you know. I think in the '90s, after like the whole addiction thing with like the the grunge, uh, the grunge artists like uh, Lane Staley, uh, Kurt Cobain, and like some some of the alternative guys like uh, uh, Shannon Hoon from uh, uh, Blind Melon. After that, being clean became the cool thing to do. Right. Which is great because, I mean, I'd rather have, like, a rickety old rock star still knocking out the hits than, you know, have to remember them by, you know, when their life ended because that's really tragic, you know? I mean, sometimes I think, what if uh, Cobain was still alive or what if Hendrix was still alive or Lane Staley? How how different would the music be, you know? Like, how how 
far would their influence have gone? You know. No, that's that's very true. I, it's funny that you bring it up that way because or about the it's cool to be clean is the I remember in high school so they had that channel one news that I always played that. you remember that yeah yeah <laughs> uh and they had a psa that would play with yeah. the lead singer from Everclear. oh okay yeah, yeah, yeah where he talked about like how he had gotten involved in drugs and then he was like oh then i just became a stereotype like a the rock star stereotype yeah. and i've been sober for how many years now yeah, just, yeah, yeah, yeah i always think about that and it's just like i mean yeah it's it's better that he's sober obviously yeah, yeah, but, yeah, yeah. it's it's interesting because like yeah it, you know I don't know. It, it, they kind of try to push it a little too much, you know. And when you're when you're that age, you're like, "Don't tell me what to do, mom and dad. <laughs> I don't need anybody telling me what to do. You don't know anything. You don't know nothing, man." You know, not to quote Weird Al or anything, you know. But, uh, but yeah, like, and that's the thing, you know. Like, I think it's more productive just to, you know, make music, you know, because a lot of I feel like a lot of musicians, they, you know, not just musicians, but just artists in general, they they do it to process their pain. And another, you know, they they make great art, they great make, make great music, but another way that they process their pain is by abusing substances, which is really unfortunate, you know. Mm-hmm. But I mean, you know, that I just I don't know. My heart goes out for the people that have those addiction issues because, I mean, just imagine being in a position in your life where, you know, being in constant emotional pain because of whatever trauma you experienced in your life, you know, and the alternative is to feel really really good. But you're ruining your life. You, it's kind of, you know, it's kind of a no-brainer in a way, you know. I guess if you could look at it that way, you know. Because, I mean, would you rather, you know, like I said, feel a lot of emotional pain from whatever you've gone through and have it unresolved? Or take a quick fix and feel that relief, you know. So, I don't know. It's very unfortunate. But, you know, those uh, some of that that uh, relief turns into music, which is a very positive thing. True. You know? Very That's true. why I'm very passionate about uh talking about music teaching people how to play music because i I, i've been doing guitar lessons for about eight years and uh every time i uh i i teach somebody that's really into into music they still remember it to this day you know Mm -hmm. like i've been uh teaching for uh eight years and i some of my very first students i keep in touch with and they tell me how much me teaching them uh guitar and teaching them how to be themselves through the art form uh, how it impacted uh, their lives in a positive way, which makes me feel really, really good because that to me is like, I've played shows and I've had people, you know, applaud for me and they give me attention and that's nice and everything. Uh, that's not my end goal. Right. It's just like a happy... Uh, icing on the cake. Yeah, it's like a, a icing on the cake. And uh, for me, playing music and connecting with people is good. And if I'm not doing that, teaching others how to connect to people, you know, that to me is like one of the, you know, it's one of the best, feelings in the world because not only am I connecting with people, I'm teaching others how to connect people. And ultimately what I think as human beings is we all try to connect to each other because I mean, you know, that's, we're just social animals. That's what we do. You know, that's in our nature, you know, and anything that I could do to facilitate that, that's, I'm all for it, you know? So how many different instruments do you play? I play guitar, I play a little bit of bass, I could fake it on keyboard, and I could fake it on drums, uh, I could keep a beat on drums. Uh, vocals, I still need to work on that, that's actually something that I would like to get into. Luckily, uh, our bass player, uh, he's, he's, uh, he was in choir, so I told him, I was like, you know what, I'm going to force you to teach me how to sing. You know, well, I mean, it's kind of the other way around because he's always trying to figure out our ranges. He's like, come on, what what range are you? Like, you know, like, oh, you're a C, whatever, you know? And, you know, and he'll like really try to 
push us to be vocalists. And I'm like, that's all cool. But don't use the app and get your phone out of my face, man. <laughs> yeah, he means well, but get your phone out of my face, dude. Come on. And if you're listening, Adam, get your phone out of my face, man. Teach me without the app. Get a keyboard. <laughs> so then when you're writing music, do you do you also often write the lyrics to go along? No, actually, uh, to me, it's it's weird for me, but like for the longest time, for maybe about like 10, 15 years, Lyrics mean nothing to me whatsoever. Okay. They mean nothing to me whatsoever because this is going to sound really pretentious, but to me, the music speaks more than words ever could. Mm-hmm. You know, like I said, uh, pinky up and everything, it sounds super pretentious, <laughs> but to me, it's 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 true. You know, like if, if I hear like a beautiful harmony or like a beautiful lead guitar or beautiful instrumentation of anything, that gives me more of a high than, you know, like a, like a really nice written lyric and stuff. There's some lyricists that, like, you know, still, I still enjoy their lyrics, you know, like uh, Jim Morrison, of course, classic, you know, like dark poetry. If you're being, if you're a broody teenager, that's perfect for you. Cobain <laughs> as well, you know. Uh, John Frusciante of the Red Hot Chili Peppers, uh, he's a really good uh, lyricist, you know. But yeah, like for me, lyrics don't matter as much as the the way the music interacts, you know, because I kind of feel that, uh, I don't know, like, I feel like when you put lyrics to something, it kind of makes the idea and the feeling too specific. So I kind of oh, feel okay. that, you know, so it kind of like, it, it, it's too literal for me because I like music that's abstract because that feeling that you can't put, your, put, a, uh, put, put into words, that's exactly what it does, uh, you know, in my opinion, that's why it doesn't need uh, lyrics because that feeling that it gives you that you can't put into words that how are you going to put that into words you literally can't you know that's <laughs> antithetical you know so yeah that that's uh something i leave to anybody that's uh doing the singing for example when i was with my old band uh, apollo's groove uh our singer alex he would uh write the lyrics originally he was actually going to be i don't know it was we're just young in high school we're like probably 15 we had no idea what we we're doing you know i just remember wanting to play guitar and he was like well i'll play drums and i was like okay get a drum set he was like that's expensive i was like yeah i know you should consider that you know, <laughs> you know? so like i was like okay whatever we'll, we'll just figure it out and stuff and then he had like notebooks full of lyrics and i was like Hey, you know what? You write all these lyrics, man. And I don't think anybody else could capture it, you know, as well as as you can because you wrote the lyrics. So I think you should be the singer. And he was hesitant at first, but ultimately that's what ended up happening, you know. And then we ended up getting our friend uh, Angel to drum with us, and then we had um, Carlos on bass, who we went to high school with. Then he uh, he formed another band, and then we got Alex's brother to join us on bass, you know. So it was kind of like the you know, the revolving door of musicians, you know, which is not necessarily a bad thing. I know Spinal Tap makes fun of it a lot and it is pretty funny, but I mean, the more people you play music with, it's, you know, you gain more experience and mm-hmm. you get to kind of know yourself and know how to play music with other people. So yeah, it was pretty good. I mean, how many different styles are there out there? Would you say like, I mean, is every person just a different, like the way they do music different? Very much. It's it's uh it depends on a lot of different factors. It depends on how they how they learn the instrument, uh how you know, what techniques they picked up. Some people might learn flamenco, some people might play uh blues, uh some jazz, you know, and that'll influence their style, you know. Like if you have a jazz drummer with a blues player, it's very it's gonna be a very different sound as if you had a jazz drummer and a jazz guitar player or a blues drummer and a blues guitar player, you know? So it's, it's almost like ingredients. I would say it's like, you know, you could use, you could, you could use salt on a steak or 
you know, you could use salt in the cookie recipe. Mm-hmm. It's the same ingredients, but the end result is different based on, you know, all the other ingredients. So there's infinite styles. I've played uh, music when, well, when we first met our uh, bass player, Adam, him and his friend, Steve, uh, shout out to those guys, really cool dudes. <laughs> um, so when we, when we started playing music with them, they're more into the 80s new wave. And that's something that I enjoy listening to, but I don't really play, you know. And uh, Dylan certainly like that's not his thing, you know. He he enjoys uh, blues and like you know we're we're actually talking on the way here about how like he listens to whatever he listens to. But if he were to play his music for somebody, they would be like, "Oh, you like oldies?" But for him, it's not oldies. It's not a category. It's just like it's no, the music I listen to. Yeah, exactly. It's just the music I listen to. You know. So it was very interesting to get together with those guys because we were playing some really weird. 80s new wavy kind of stuff you know and it was kind of heavy and it was very weird but it sounded so good to us you know it's kind of like you know it's kind of like pineapple on a pizza it's not for everybody but if you have a refined palate you know (laughs) and uh weekly media does not endorse pineapple on pizza okay cut all right i'm out of here (laughs) no but uh yeah and we also uh we i think it was like maybe a month or two ago we we were uh we had a jam session with the the, the members of uh, Vekman's Ghost, and their style is kind of like a sexy desert rock kind of alternative kind of Queens of the Stone Agey sound, but in, in in a very very trippy psychedelic way, you know. So I, I guess the best way I could describe it is the Doors meets que- uh, Queens of the Stone Age, you wow. know, which are two bands I love, you know. Yeah. So uh, we got to play music with them. And we have very different styles because our style, you know, at the moment is a little more, you know, my uh, Ocean Ocean's style is more, you know, oceanic. You know, it's more calm. It's more mellow and, you know, very like laid back and their their sound is very intense. So put that two, uh, those two things together and it created some really, really interesting music, you know. And it was just a, a, a spur of the moment improvisation. We hadn't rehearsed with them whatsoever. We hadn't rehearsed with each other. We're just like, hey, let's just get together see what happens we uh met up uh downtown and we just put our instruments up and then we ended up making music and we did that for about an hour or two and it was like one of the best best jam sessions we've had as ocean ocean you know how did you wait so what how does it you just meet up somewhere downtown and just you just plugged in and and started jamming or well it was at the the red moon ale house okay so uh, i think they they're friends with the owners i believe okay i'm not too sure how that worked out but but we'd been uh you know we'd been admiring each other's uh musicianship and we're like we like your guys music oh cool we like your music you know so uh we're like hey we should set up a jam session so they set it up and they're like hey come come down to red moon ale house and uh we'll play music together and then we just plugged in and we played you know and then you know turned into a big old musical party you know that's awesome um, you know and it was all improvised i'd never played music with those guys you know i've uh seen them play music i've been to their shows uh on occasion but i'd never actually played music with them you know but then everybody got on stage. unfortunately stephanie couldn't because she didn't have her patented uh um uh, ghost bass you know which is very specific to her you oh know? okay you know side note she's pretty petite so her so is her bass you know yeah yeah so uh she didn't have her bass with her uh but she was just rocking out there with us you know she was recording us and she was in the crowd and stuff you know everybody was having a good time you know so it was just you know when i kind of feel that uh when you play music 
Yeah, well, when you when you learn an instrument enough to play in a band, you put so much of yourself into that instrument. You kind of put so much of yourself into this like little box, I guess. Not in a bad way, not in a restrictive way, but just you know for the sake of the analogy. But you put yourself in a box, and then every time you show up with other musicians, it's kind of like a show and tell of what you have in your box. Oh yeah, you know. So everybody has like their own style. They're like, hey, I like to play this. I like to play a little faster than usual. I like to play a little funky, you know. So check this out, and then they'll be like, oh yeah, well check this out, you know. And sometimes it. I've been in situations where it has been competitive, but that's not what it's about for, you know, for true musicians. It's not about being competitive. It's just about, you know, showing who you are. It's just kind of like, you know, I don't know. It's it's just like a very social, social uh, party to me, you know? Yeah. So that's what we did. Like everybody has their own style. Everybody has their own like thing going and we're like, Hey, check this out. We'll check this out. And then everybody kind of throws, you know, things in there and you know, whatever comes of it is a beautiful mess, but it's beautiful nonetheless, you know? How much? How much would you say that someone's like music, the music that they love to listen to, influences their style? It depends on the person because uh, I there's some music that I like, but it does uh, it doesn't affect how I play. Uh, I, I really love Stevie Ray Vaughan. Uh, he's a great guitar player. Uh, I like The Doors, uh, but I don't really play like Robbie Krieger or Stevie Ray Vaughan. I play. Like myself, like I guess in the beginning, when you're first starting to, you know, learn Learn. your instrument, then you kind of have like, you know, you kind of copy them a lot more, but then eventually you go off on your own. It's kind of like the the mother bird throwing the baby bird off the nest and stuff. At first, you're just in this little confined space and you're like, oh, I'm just going to do what's safe because I know it works for this guitar player and I know it works in this context. But eventually you kind of venture out a little more and more until eventually you get your sound and it's kind of informed by every one of your influences. It's kind of like a mosaic of what you listen to, you know? And pretty much... Uh, the the people that I truly admire are really good at putting that mosaic together because they'll have infinite influences and they'll make the most beautiful tapestry of sound, you know? And that to me is great because honestly, there's no, technically there's no original ideas, but if you put them together in a way that's true to you, that is just as valid. And that's that that's what makes a good uh, musician and an artist in my opinion. So you were talking about how you've been in a few bands, were you in marching band in high school, jazz band in high school? No, I, I just uh, played guitar, and uh, I started playing guitar when I was 15, I believe. Okay. Um, but yeah, like I started playing guitar, and then I just kind of learned on my own. I took uh, guitar classes in high school, you know, and I kind of learned the the basics there. And then from there, I kind of went on, you know, I learned through online, you know, tablature. You know, I know it's super taboo to say use tablature because it's kind of like color by number for guitar. Oh. You know, so it's, it tells you step by step, you know, and, you know, the true musicians, the snobby musicians like to read sheet. I could read sheet music, too, but tablature is way easier. You know, <laughs> it's kind of like when you, you're playing a video game and it has like the tutorial on. Right. You know, it has like the, you know, it says press B to slay the dragon or whatever. It's it's not the same, you know, games nowadays you do that and stuff. But back then, Contra, nobody was telling you what to do. You know, <laughs> nobody knew about the There's only two code. buttons, though. Yeah, that's true. That's true. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And that's the thing, you know, like I just started uh, playing music and kind of figuring out what I wanted to sound like. I kind of experimented with different sounds. You know, everybody back then, this was the early 2000s and stuff, 2000 to 2004. Everybody was into drop tuning their guitar. So they make the the low guitar string like uh, a whole step lower. That way you could like play heavy metal, like System of a Down, you know, and like all like that alternative uh, metal from back in the day. Mm -hmm. I tried that for a very short amount of time and I got super bored of it because I was like, 
that's not me, you know? For me, I was more into like, you know, soulful, uh, more emotional kind of music like the Red Hot Chili Peppers. You know, their their music to me has more, it, it spoke to me more than it spoke to, you know, than the other music spoke to me. Right. You know, it, and plus, you know, one thing that, you, whether you like the Red Hot Chili Peppers or not, you watch one of their shows, you know they're having fun. Yeah. You know? And that that's one thing that drew me to them because I saw Flea. I was like, that guy looks like he's having so much fun. I want to have that much fun, you know? And I was like, I got to play music, you know? And yeah, that's kind of what uh, what one of the big influences, you know? Because Flea just has a passion for the music and they have such a humility about the process of making music and that really informed how I approach music because a lot of people, you know, well, I don't know. I wouldn't say a lot of people. Some people. Uh, I don't know the exact figures, but some people kind of approach it as a way to stroke their ego. They're like, I want the attention. I'm going to play in front of people. That is a part of it for everybody. I'm not going to be one of those people that's like, I do it from the art. I don't play in front of <laughs> I play in front of people because it's nice to have people say, you're good. I'm like, thank you. It validates me. You know? yeah, that's, as human beings, we seek validation from each other, you know? It's true. You know? But the thing is, uh, uh, thank you, by the way, for validating that. Yeah, you're welcome. <laughs> no, and the thing is, for me, it's um you know you know it's about having fun you know and and enjoying the process and just hanging out with your friends you know i feel that when you uh when you play music with somebody you kind of get to know them a lot more than if you have a conversation for them for about a week like for example when i met dylan uh i was at the at the ocean to ocean park and uh i was just playing my guitar by myself he comes up to me and he says uh hey uh do you mind if i jam with you and i saw him i, I didn't know who he was and then i was like yeah I, I guess you know at first i was gonna say no because i was kind of in my own headspace at the moment but i was like you know what screw it i'm gonna say yeah because this is gonna be you know this could potentially be something cool so i was like oh, i'll be right back so he showed up and then we ended up playing improv improvising music for about three hours and as he was leaving uh, he told me, I'm Dylan, by the way. <laughs> so for three hours, we had no idea who each other, uh, you know, we didn't know yeah, who we your were. names, but you knew each other because you, you played music with each yeah, other. Exactly. So that, that to me was a very significant moment because it just kind of validated that, um, that point, that, uh, belief that I have about music being something that brings people together. And the thing that kind of made us laugh and in a very, I don't know, it was just very perfect moment. We're playing and uh, at, on the Kachan Reservation, they were setting off fireworks for some reason. I don't remember what event it was or something, but we tell people that when we met, we saw fireworks. Aww. We saw literal <laughs> fireworks, you know? So we're like, oh, maybe this thing's meant to be, you know? So, so that's the name for the band. Yeah, exactly. Because we would play there and we'd just get together every so often and just play with our guitars. And then people would be like, oh, I like your guys' sound. You guys sound good. Uh, what's your band name? And we're like, oh, we're not a band. We're just like a couple of friends just making music and stuff. And they're like, oh, you guys have an Instagram? I'm like, no, like we're just two guys making music. You know? <laughs> so eventually we're like, you know what? I guess, yeah, I guess we're a band, right? And we're like, yeah, okay. So then we started incorporating the other members, which you know came about in a very interesting way. We ended. I I was uh, going to do some uh, guitar lessons for the Littlewoods, but uh, nobody signed up for those lessons on that day. So uh, Dylan came with me, and because there was going to be a blues night like right after my lessons, so I was like, oh, you know what? Nobody showed up. That's okay. We're here for the blues night anyways. Let's just hang out. And then this uh, this really young guy comes in. You know, like I don't know. He looks like fifteen or something. You know, like uh, he just walks in and he's setting up his drum set and he has like a very friendly vibe to him and stuff. And he's like, you know, like very open friendly kind of guy and stuff i'm like oh, i don't know this guy but he seems very friendly <laughs> and then like you know he starts warming up on drums and he like kind of gives us like the the 
the head nod to acknowledge us like, hey, what's up, guys? You know, the what's up, guys head nod, you know, uh, not to be confused with a cholo head nod, which is the upward motion, but it was a downward it's motion. A downward yeah, <laughs> exactly, you know, I got to specify. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, we he started warming up on drums and then we heard him and we're like, wow, this kid's got some chops. So Dylan plugs in his guitar and Neil's like, hey, I'm going to plug in. And then without saying a word to him, he just starts playing his guitar and then they start jamming and I'm like, oh, let me get in on this. So I, then I plug in my equipment and then we ended up jamming with this guy and then uh the guy tells us oh my god you guys are really good you know and he's like really happy and i was like yeah you're pretty good too kid and uh we end up introducing ourselves and he ended up being our uh, drummer damien you know uh damien flores great drummer he's in phoenix right now so we don't see him as much but when we do see him it's a treat it's pretty cool <laughs> you know so i mean that's the he just he w- he was just carrying around his drum set just in case he met some guitarists? No, he was he was going to play drums for the Blues Night. Oh, okay, okay. Yeah, I be- guess that disconnected with me, but oh, that yeah, makes yeah. complete sense. Yeah. No, because he he was uh ever, like way before we met him, he would just go to jam sessions. He'd be like, uh, oh, there's a jam session. I'm going to take my drums and see who I, who I meet, you know. So he ended up showing up that night and then yeah, we ended up making music and you know, we're like, "Hey, you want to jam some more?" and that was, you know, how we met that guy. You know, and uh, our bass player, that story was just kind of, it was a little, uh, interestingly enough, it was very sitcom-y. It was, uh, <laughs> wait, was hold it? on, wait, sitcom-ish, because I don't want to say commie, oh, political, yeah. Yeah, I don't want to get political, you know? <laughs> no, but uh, he, uh, we're, we're, uh, we were at an open mic night at the library, which I, I uh, emceed for a couple of times. Because uh, my friend Alex, former singer from my band, uh, he works at the library. So I was like, hey, maybe we should open mic nights. So I was like, okay, I'll MC. So uh, we had our friend Jason Err um, play there. And, you know, like a couple of us were there. Orion was there. Uh, a couple of the local guys were there and we're just making music. And then at the end, uh, Jason is talking to this guy. He comes out, you know, and he's just talking to this guy. I'm like, okay, well, I guess they're friends or something. You know, this is, per- you know whatever so we go up to jason and and uh we're like hey we're we're hungry let's go get some food and then uh and then the guy that jason's talking to is like am i invited and in my mind i'm thinking yeah i guess if you're jason's friend you know if you're you're a friend of jason's you're a friend of ours you know so we end up going in and out and hanging out there and then we're just you know hanging out having fun talking having some good conversation eating some food and uh and well you know, a little side note just to show how generous this young man was. He offered to pay for some of the burgers. So I was like, cool, you're definitely invited. Man. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, he he um, he he was asking us, he was like, oh, how do you guys know each other? So we told everybody, you know, like, oh, we met Jason here. We met, I met Dylan here and blah, blah, blah. And then we asked him, how do you know Jason? He was like, oh, I don't know Jason. I met him just right now when I met you guys. <laughs> and I was like, whoa. Wow, that's kind of okay. That's ballsy. Yeah, and I was like, all right, you know. And then luckily he was a cool guy, and I was like, all right, this guy's pretty cool, you know. So he doesn't look too dangerous, you know. <laughs> I mean, he did wear uh, sandals with jeans, which to me is yeah, I don't know, it's weird, but I don't know. That's just my opinion. I mean, it seems very, very laid back, very, yeah. uh, very hippie-ish. So exactly. he'd be okay. So I was like, okay, you, you know, you're cool, you know. <laughs> so then we're talking about music, and then we're like, hey, do you play anything? He was like, oh, we, I play bass, and I was like. And we looked at each other and we're like, hey, we've been looking for a bass We player. don't have a basis. <laughs> exactly. So we ended, invi- ended up inviting him to the jam session the next day. We ended up making music and it was like really fun. He, inv- he brought his uh, friend Steve with with him. 
and you know very very talented guys and i was like this is awesome so pretty much uh, i hadn't been doing music a lot like you know with other people i've been doing uh, guitar lessons but i haven't been playing uh, music myself so when uh, i met dylan like him and i started going to like these open mics at uh, north end cafecito at the library little woods just anywhere we could uh, find them and we ended up just running into all these interesting musicians and that was that was pretty cool you know it was pretty fun <laughs> So, I mean, you've you've hit on it quite a bit, but I guess I just want to put it out there. What is the music scene in Yuma? What is it like? It's a there's everybody kind of has their own style, but one thing that like a lot of people tend to enjoy at the moment is acoustic, folky kind of uh, alternative. I okay. guess you could call it uh, because everybody has pretty much okay. Well, everybody in Yuma. Every musician in Yuma knows Riptide. Okay. So, every, <laughs> that's the, you know, just to kind of give you a litmus test of, of what it, it's like, you know. Uh, ukulele is very popular around here. Uh, acoustic guitars are very popular. And uh, as far as the electric, uh, you know, electric guitar, like the heavier stuff, you know, um, as far uh, as far as I know, there's there's a couple of bands out there uh, doing the electric thing. But, yeah, it's it's uh, kind of a variety, you know. How many bands would you say are active at one time in Yuma, uh, any given time. It well, bands, uh, not a lot, but performers, quite a bit actually. Okay, because I've known it's interesting because when I was doing music in the early two thousands, it was just like band, band, band. There's hardly anybody doing their solo thing. You know? Okay, but nowadays I kind of feel like everybody is kind of autonomous in that way. They'll you know they'll do their own thing. They'll they'll have a group of friends that they play music with. And they'll kind of be a band, but at the same time, they do their own thing. Everybody's trying to do their you own know? thing. So, I mean, to me, it's really interesting and a really cool thing. Because back then, if you're not in a band, you're not cool, man. If you're not in a band, what are you, you loner? You know, it's <laughs> kind of a weird attitude. But now it's, it's you know, pretty much everybody's doing their own thing, which to me is really cool. You is, know? Not, to be, not to sound cynical or anything, but do you think that's the invention of social media and, 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 and uh, smartphones? Because, like, you know, one person fitting on a phone is a lot easier than four people four people in a band definitely but i don't see it as necessarily a negative thing okay you know it's to me it's more of a you know the times change and you know it's one of those changes that's not good or bad it's just you know you know that's how it is you know because some people you know they want to do their own thing they want their own social media page to blow up they want their own thing uh some people for me i'm the I'm just in it to have fun and connect with people, you know? And, but yeah, everybody does their own thing and it's not, it's not like a taboo thing. It's not crazy for anybody because, uh, one, one example that, that comes to mind is, uh, Jason Newstead, the bass player for Metallica told Metallica, Hey, I'm going to have a side project. And Metallica was like, no, you're not. You're in Metallica. And he was like, no, I, I want a side project, man. You guys, you know, we're in a band together. We're in a successful band together, but I want to do my own thing as well. So they were like, okay, we'll choose. And he was like, well, if you guys are, you know, you know, putting me in an awkward position, then I'm definitely going to choose other band because they, they, they're they fine with me being in Metallica. I mean, what choice did they have? It's Metallica, you know? <laughs> you know, but that was kind of like the, the attitude. I kind of feel like that was some of the attitude back then. But nowadays, it's just like, yeah, do your thing, man. You know, like. It's kind of like uh, everybody's a musical swinger now, you know, which is not a bad thing, you know. It, it creates more music. Yeah. You know. Which more music is not a bad thing. Yeah, definitely, you know. So collaborating is a very loose term, but for with, with me, when we've done all these uh, different podcast music beds for that I've asked you to make for me, and 
what is it like working with me? Not it's, to make this about me, but it is my show. Yeah, true. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's uh, it's good because one thing that I, I really enjoy is you're uh, you're very objective mm-hmm. because as you've told me, you're not you're like I I know hardly anything about music, you know, you know, so it makes it a lot easier instead of you being like I could do that better here, you know. <laughs> so you know the feedback you give me is objective, and I know what you're talking about, and it's super easy, and su- it's one of the easiest collaborations I've had. Okay, you know. In general, you know, because I've dealt with musicians that, you know, it's kind of hard to deal with them because everybody has their own thing going on. They got their either egos, they got their issues, they got their own thing going on. So, but yeah, working with you is super easy. You just tell me what to do. I got you, boss. (laughs) (laughs) Working on projects like that, though, like, like that's. I guess the best way to put it is like piecemeal work or or uh, hired gun work kind of stuff like that, like. How does that make you feel as opposed to when you're creating your own stuff? It's it's interesting because it kind of helps me stretch my legs because even though I love the music that I make, sometimes I, I fall into a rut and I'm like, I don't know what to do. I want to make some music, but nothing fresh is coming of it. So when you, when I do music for you, it's like I will go out of left field and I'll do something that I would never do, you know, like... Hank Williams is cool and all, but that's not my jam, you know? <laughs> you know? And so, yeah, like, it kind of, like, allows me to discover new elements that I can incorporate to the music that I that I enjoy that I would never approach, you mm-hmm. know? Like, if you tell me, like, oh, I want, uh, like, I want a waltz, and I'm like, okay, like, that's kind of random, but okay, I'll do it, you know? And then I'll be like, hey, you know what? Maybe we should, I, I should incorporate some of the three, four rhythm of waltz and stuff into one of our songs or some of the scales or something, you know? And it, it helps me discover new little toys to play with musically, you know? So it's always a good thing to to discover new things because uh, you could, music is so infinite. I mean, the nature of music is just so random and infinite that any new thing that you could learn about it is always going to be a good thing no matter what. So anytime I, I've collaborated with you and you give me like an assignment to do whatever, you know, I'm like, okay, I don't know how to do that, but I'm going to figure out, I'm going to focus on this. And, you know, it keeps me on my toes and it makes me a better musician, I feel. Well, it's, that goes right into my next question. Like how much research do you usually do when you have to go outside of your your wheelhouse, so to speak? I do enough to not burn out on it. Okay. That way my ideas remain fresh mm-hmm. because if I burn out on it, I'm not going to be happy with what the work I produce. You know, I'm like, oh my god, this is. I'm just kind of, I'm kind of phoning it in, but I don't want to phone it in. Anytime I, I record anything or I do music, I want to make sure that I'm doing something fresh and doing something good. You know, so I do enough research to be informed on it, but I don't do enough to where I get burned out on it. So that's, you know, that's kind of what I do because I also want to add my own spin to things. Right. You know, because I could like. I could easily just copy something, you know, word per word or note per note or something, you know, but I'd rather have my own little flair to it, you know? Sounds good. I like that. So, as you just said, I am not the biggest music person. A lot of a lot of people will know that if they listen to this podcast or just know me in, in real life. Yeah. But one of the first things that you and I bonded on was the love of movies. We both have yes. a, a great love for movies and specifically kevin smith oh yes <laughs> definitely yes, yes 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 so what what are some of your your top movies right now oh uh, let's see i i mean clerks is always a classic okay you know? uh, i actually the first kevin smith movie i ever saw was dogma which to me was a very interesting one because i was like hey the, this is a really this is a really smartly uh written movie you know it's 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 questioning you know uh kevin smith's faith through uh bethany uh, played by um, oh, Linda Fiorentino. Fiorentino, yeah, yeah. 
So yeah, like it was a very interesting movie, and I was like, hey, you know what? The dialogue is great in this. So I started delving deeper, and I was like, and I was like, written and directed by Kevin Smith. Who's Kevin Smith? That that fat guy in an overcoat. Yeah. Wow, that guy's <laughs> the guy that doesn't talk. That's weird, you know. So then I I started like look, looking into what he did and stuff, and then I discovered that he made Clerks, and I was like, all right, well, if I enjoyed Dogma, I'm going to see his, uh, his earlier his earliest work, which is uh, Clerks. I saw that, and I was like, he is an amazing writer he uh, he i love his writing his scripts are great his dialogue is amazing um i i just i don't know it, it, it was something that i'd never experienced in other movies because other movies they're kind of like a little too on the nose but it, he kind of has like his own like his askew universe is very specific mm-hmm. you know it's very i don't know it's very him you know like it's very kevin smith which is great you know that so clerks obviously uh dogma that's a good one I even like Clerks too, even though like a lot of people didn't enjoy it, you know. Oh, I I still love that movie. Yeah, it was it was a really good movie because it was uh, more mature than Clerks, you know, and it kind of had like the storyline with uh, Rosario Dawson's character and mm-hmm. you know the whole growing up and you know so pretty much yeah like everything that I've seen by him, I've not hated. I've not been a huge fan of everything. Right. Uh, Jersey Girls, all right. You know, I, I don't know. I don't know why he gets so much. You know, I, I, well, I think he's the biggest critic on that movie. Like, yeah, people just didn't go see it, and or you know, they might have panned it a little. But like, he'll yeah. always bring it up on himself and be like, yeah, oh, it was, it was, you know, it's, it's my terrible movie kind of thing. <laughs> but I, it, you, you listen to him talk. He's always talking about how he's got to be the per- first person to put himself down so that oh, yeah. everybody else can't put him down. Yeah, exactly. You and know? and that's fine. But yeah, like most of his movies, I enjoy. I'd say. Yeah. I know that when I was younger, Chase Namey was not my favorite. I was like, I, I don't really get all this. I yeah. don't understand this. But yeah. I mean, you know, growing older, you, you do get to understand relationships and you know why you're, he's going through all that stuff. Oh, yeah. And actually, that movie was, you know, when I was younger, I was like, that's ah, all right. But as soon as I got older and with more life experience, I was like, ouch, this is <laughs> physically painful to watch because those conversations are, wow, you know? Like, I'll never look at finger cuffs the same way. <laughs> but yeah, it was like, you know, the, the it was very raw and it, you know, it didn't ease up on the audience. That's no. one thing I really liked about yeah. it. It was just like, wow, should we leave? You know, like, should we, like, <laughs> should we let you two finish the conversation? Because this is a little... Oh, this is a little personal, you know, but in it was the catharsis, you know, and that catharsis and that relatability, I guess, helped me, you know, like to deal with a lot of, you know, insecure uh, relationship insecurities yeah. that I may have had. And, you know, it was, you know, it was painful to go through. But at the end of the day, you know, I'm glad I went through that experience. You know, it's like a roller coaster. <laughs> you're screaming and you're like, oh, my God, when's this going to end? And when it ends, you're like, that was cool, you know. <laughs> So it's an emotional roller coaster. It but, yeah. very much is, and then now you know a lot of his movies now are into the you know him being a father. So yeah, it's definitely. I haven't watched reboot yet. Yeah, I want to. Yeah, so I, I can't wait to. But that's you know that's about uh, Jay being a father, finding out that he's a father and stuff like that. So yeah, it just like Yoga Hosers wasn't the best movie, but I also didn't hate it. Yeah, it I was. didn't. I didn't hate uh, Tusk. Red State. I wasn't a fan of. Yeah. I kind of enjoyed it uh, more than I thought, thought I would. would. In hindsight, I enjoyed it a lot more than I thought I did. That's fair. Because when I watched it, I was like, what the hell? This is kind of off the wall for Kevin Smith, you know? <laughs> like, maybe, maybe Tarantino, but or maybe, I don't know. It was just maybe Rodriguez. I don't know. But uh, yeah, it was kind of like weird and stuff. And I was like, this is not feel like Kevin Smith, you know? <laughs> but then in hindsight, I was like, huh, 
actually, that's not a bad thing. No, you know? that's not a bad thing. That's what he talks about. He's like, that was my opportunity to do something different. Yeah, exactly. You know, because I mean, you know, you could only get so far with uh, dick and fart jokes as he puts it, you know? <laughs> and I mean, those are fun and everything, you know? But, I mean, they could get stale, just like farts. I love that you brought up uh, Rodriguez and, and Tarantino. Like, I love the fact that the three of them came, came up at the same time. That is awesome. And and, and di- Kevin Smith's dialogue definitely gives you that. It, it was the nerd pop before, you know, being oh, geek yeah. chic was cool, you yeah, know, exactly. kind of thing. Yeah. And Tarantino throws the same thing in. Like, you, you read or you listen to a lot of his dialogue, his scripts. They'll throw in stuff that's, like, super deep cut. Oh, nerd yeah. stuff that yeah. you know you know only some people are going to get yeah and then the movies that he didn't direct but he wrote like have yeah. those big old soliloquies of uh you know a uh, superman or uh video games or something like that and it's just yeah. like it's so cool but yeah and it, it 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 really adds to the world that he's creating and it just makes it that much tastier you know it's like you know it's kind of like that special spice that you only use on special occasions you know you throw it in there you're like oh my god this soup is amazing what's in it and you're like it's my special ingredient you know so that that's one thing i really like about tarantino's because you know uh tarantino's dialogue kevin smith's dialogue is amazing they're completely different from each other yes but they give me the same satisfaction mm-hmm. in a weird way you know and i remember having like you know with my friends when i was growing up and stuff we were kind of you know we were very introspective and we would have deep conversations. Everybody else would think like, uh, this is kind of, these conversations are boring. Let's talk about, you know, let's talk about whatever boring stuff or whatever, you know, but we, we would have like these weird conversations. And I remember that we, uh, my, one of my friends and I, uh, we, uh, we're watching star Wars, uh, and I don't know, we're just rewatching it for the umpteenth time just because we're bored and we had nothing to do and we didn't have to school to go to school the next day. So we're just watching it. And then we opened up a conversation about how, you know, the nature of reality is just, I don't know. It was just a very existential conversation about, and we kind of figured that everything that, that we perceive is only perceived through the lens of our human experiences. So it was, it got really, really deep and really weird. And this was just from watching star Wars, you know, because it was just kind of, yeah, and Star Wars isn't exactly like uh, science fiction, you know. There's not much science, you know. Right. You know, if any, you know. But yeah, like it was it's just space fantasy. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it was space fantasy. So like we're just kind of thinking like off the wall, and it just led us into this cool conversation. And the conversations that we would have were very similar to you know, say the 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 diner scene from Reservoir Dogs. You know, like oh, you know that song by Madonna, like a virgin. You know, that kind of, those kind of conversations. Right, right, you yeah. know? Or like hey. You know, like, uh, like, what fault was it of the plumbers that they were on the Death Star? You know, <laughs> those are the conversations him and I would have. So when we saw it represented on screen, we're like, "Oh my God, we're not the only ones!" You know, and that kind of you know drew us to Tarantino and Kevin Smith because it was like, "We're not the only weirdos that think this way." You know, everybody thinks that we're weird, but guess what? We're validated by these two <laughs> filmmakers. <you know? laughs> so yeah, it was it was a uh, very. I'm very glad that I discovered those movies when I did because. I guess he, uh, my friend Alex, he he uh, he lived down the street from me. He was like, "Oh, um, I remember, I remember specifically. I remember uh, that one of the guys in my uh, guitar class was playing Miserlou by uh, 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 from the Pulp Fiction soundtrack." Right. And I was like, "Hey, it's that? Fr- it's uh, I heard it's from that cel- uh, that Pulp Fiction movie." And he was like, "Yeah, and uh, it's, uh, it's called Miserlou or whatever." So I told Alex about it, and, and I was like, "Yeah, have you ever seen that Pulp Fiction movie?" He was like. No, nah, I don't think I have, but I have it at home for some reason. And I was like, bring it over. And then I was like, all right. So he brought it over. Best decision 
ever, ever. you know yeah we're <laughs> like wow this is interesting because you know at that point we had watched like movies that were not interesting they were not smart movies they're just action movies they're just like blood and guts and guns and stuff that's fun sometimes you know but at the end of the day i prefer some interesting something that makes you think something that's fascinating like that you know and like the the dialogue was hilarious you know I found out that, you know, they use a metric system in France, apparently. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, uh, don't give a woman a foot massage unless you're, uh, you're dating you're her. Dating you know? her, yeah, that's know? right. So a lot of life lessons that I still use to this day. <laughs> <laughs> and you know what? I actually did improve my technique. I don't be tickling or nothing. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so since you're, you, you do teach people to play guitar already, What's the one piece of advice if you only gave them one piece of advice? If I only gave them one piece of advice, that is a very difficult question, but patience. Patience. Yes. yes. No one patience. picks it up overnight? Yeah, nobody picks it up overnight. It is physically impossible. Everybody at one, there was a point where Jimi Hendrix was horrible. There you go. You know, if Jimi Hendrix is horrible, don't worry, you're fine. You're gonna be <laughs> fine because I have a lot of uh, I've had a lot of students that they get frustrated. They're like, "Oh my god, I can't play as good as you." And I'm like, "Yeah, but you got to consider I've been playing for years, and you just showed up like today." You know, <laughs> you know, there are some people that pick it up quick, right? But they're not gonna master it overnight. They could pick it up quick and do well, but you know, like I said. It's not an overnight thing. It, it's a long process, and it is a very rewarding process. That's something that a lot of people get impatient with. Is they're like, "I want the reward already." I'm like, "Well, you got to put in the hard work." You know, a lot of people don't like calluses on their fingers because they're like, "It hurts." And I'm like, "The faster you get calluses on your finger, the less it'll hurt it's eventually." Right. You know, so just take that. Uh, you know, put get that out of the way. You know, yeah. And but patience is, is something that like that's something that I kind of. Uh, use in my day-to-day because i i tend to be a little impatient at times but when i when i play music i try to be a little more patient and it teaches me to be patient it teaches me how to think abstractly it teaches me how to calm down and be in the moment and just focus on the task at hand you know there have been times where i play a show and the, my string gets untuned or my string snaps or i'm off key or something happens and i'm like okay how do i fix this in the next millisecond because I'm at a show. I'm playing in front of people. I can't mm-hmm. be like, excuse me, guys, can you wait on? Can, can you hold on? Like, quick pause. Yeah, can, can, <laughs> yeah, just pause it real quick, man. Like, everybody hold on, you know? Show must go on, you know? So it kind of helps you, it helps you problem solve in a very quick manner, you know, which is something that I try to incorporate on a day-to-day basis, you know? So it's it's been good for me my whole life, you know? Awesome. All right. So we've been talking for an hour. I don't want to take up too much more of your time you want to give out some ways people can find you or your band online? Yeah. Uh, you could find us on Instagram under ocean to ocean official and, uh, my Instagram handle, you could find me on, I'm not, I'm totally not looking at my phone. I'm just, uh, <laughs> I think it's, it's 83P, right? 83P. Yeah. You could find me on Instagram as 83P. And if you want to hit me up for lessons, you could find me there. You could also find me on Facebook as Javier Magana, which is, my name, interestingly it's enough. Strangely you know? enough. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so yeah, if you uh, also do uh, bass lessons, if you're interested in that. And uh, yeah, like uh, like I said, Ocean to Ocean Official, 83P for my personal. And also uh, Dylan Halpane, uh, the other guitar player for Ocean Ocean. Excellent, excellent guitar work. He, uh, he always... G- you know, he always comes up with something really, really cool. Like anytime where we get together, I'll show up at his place and he'll be like, hey, check it out, man. Look what I what I just figured out. I'm like, 
we I haven't seen you in two days and you already like went up like seven levels, dude. Stop doing that, man. Stop making me look bad, you know. So yeah, if you want uh, some, uh, his his Instagram is dedicated uh, solely to music. Mine is uh, like a general social media. But if you want to find me for lessons, find me there. Uh, find me on Facebook under Javier Magana. You find my band Ocean to Ocean Official on Instagram and give us a follow and uh, give us a thumbs up and uh, subscribe to Geek Elite. Uh, they got some good content and uh, some really cool dudes. So there you go. That's right. If you want to find me on Twitter, I'm at Mitchipedia G-E-M. G-E-M stands for Geek Elite Media. The rest of Geek Elite Media is at Geek Elite Media on Twitter, at Geek Elite Media on Instagram, and Facebook.com forward slash Geek Elite Media is our Facebook page. Check out archived episodes of this podcast and other podcasts on our network on our website, geekelitemedia.com. But until next time, this is Hey Mitch on the Geek Elite Media Network saying, always remember to geek, geek out. out. This concludes our broadcast. Beep.